desired sites after dark. Radio check. Copy. Loud and clear. Welcome to Iron Sights. This podcast candidly seeks to create opportunities and deliver impact by sharing the experiences and wisdom of successful entrepreneurs and thought leaders who unapologetically aim to win in health, fitness, business, and life. I'm your host, Scott Howell. Welcome to Old School Meets New School. Tradition meets innovation, and imperfection meets excellence. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. We kicked this episode off with Brian. Now, Brian had every intention of being a special operations guy from the time he was a young kid. It just so happens when he graduated high school, the global war on terror was at its absolute height. So through an interesting set of circumstances, and let's just call it a rather comical and naive approach to achieving his dream, Brian tells his story of how he started his path and his career in special operations. He talks about his influences, the ups, the downs. Listen to this. So I graduated high school May of 2003, and I entered the Air Force November of 2003. Okay. So right out of high school, bam. Um, and I get, I get the question a lot, like, oh, how did you know you wanted to go to the military, blah, blah, I mean, ask anybody from my kindergarten class, and they all would have said, he's going to the military. I, I don't know what it was. I was attracted to it as far back as I could possibly remember. Family in it? Just distant relatives. My okay. grandfather was in the Navy. Uh, my dad's side uncle was in the Army. But like, I mean, so. so well, yeah, was that an influence? No, I don't know. I don't know if it was. Uh, I was just attracted to the the Hollywoodism of the military or, or okay. whatever I had seen based on, you know, whatever, whatever. I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know where it came from. It just was always there. So I'll touch on this because this is very important. Uh, again, another question I get is, well, why the Air Force? Okay, so I already knew I wanted to go into, and I'm going to say special fill in the blank because there's so many special forces, special operations, blah, 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 blah. There's so many of the soft special operations forces. There's so many under that category and under the umbrella of special operations command. Anyway, so I say that to say I didn't go into the Air Force to travel. I wasn't going to go in the military to like go know, to school, the GI Bill, a jet or go into the army and be a diesel truck driver. Like, no, I... Specifically, it was like, I'm going to the military, and I'm going to go do some cool stuff. I want to do I'm, stuff. I want to be special, fill in the blank. And again, at, at that point, I was in high school. I didn't know crap about the military other than what I've just read and seen. So yeah, so the, the biggest hyped up special fill in the blank is Navy SEALs, right? Because they have 8,000 books. They have 8,000 movies. They are popular. The list goes on, right? So yeah, They have nice hair, too. <laughs> Always nice do. JP. Cool gear. <laughs> so, the you know, as sells. an 18-year-old impressionable kid, I was like, Dad, we're going to the Navy recruiter. He's like, all right, let's go. Went to the Navy recruiter. And again, this is 03, so I'll, I'll, I'll talk about why that's important as well. So I went to the Navy recruiter, and I was like, hey, I want to be a SEAL. After the guy stopped laughing at me because I was like a buck 40, you know, like I played soccer and ran track in high school, you know, like I'm going to be this Navy SEAL. And uh, he's like, cool. All right. Well, I'm, you're going to have to sign this contract to go open general and Navy's going to put you at the needs of the Navy. You know, you'll probably be on a ship for a couple years. And then, you know, I don't know, two, three years, you put in a package. And if you get accepted, then you go to BUDS. And if you pass BUDS, you got a two year selection course before you're on a team. And I'm like doing the math and I'm like four. So I'm like. So six, because again, the, the global war on terror is, is in its heat, right? It's heating up big time. I mean, big it's, time. It's 2003, the end of 2003. So 2001 happened. I freaking watched, just like all of us probably, I watched it happen. My teacher brought in a big box television, plugged it in and said, everybody watch this. 
this is history. Mm-hmm. We watched it happen. That you know, I was already going to go in, but that just solidified the I'm doing special operations or, uh, to some degree. So you know, so anyway, so the Navy path, you know, he's like, and I'm like, all right, it's gonna be six years before I see any combat overseas or whatever. And that, that, like I said, that's what I wanted to do. That's why I wanted to go in. So I was like, all right, cool, man. I'll I'll hit you up later, maybe. So we walked out of there, and I was, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, all right, uh, what's what's the next most hyped, coolest thing again? I'm 18. I don't know crap. I'm like Green Beret. Boom, Army recruiter. I walked five feet right into the Army recruiter tour. <laughs> like most recruiters are right next. I don't know why they do that. Uh, so I walked in there, and I'm like, I want to be Green Beret. <laughs> After the guy stopped laughing, uh, he's like, all right, cool. You're going to sign this contract. You're going to go in as whatever. You're going to be a cook, whatever you want to do, you know, or not whatever. I want to do whatever the Army wants you to do. Whatever but, I want you to do. Exactly, yeah. right? And he's like, uh, but if you go infantry, this will fast track you. And I'm like, oh, sweet. We're getting somewhere. He's like, yeah, you go infantry, you know, two, three years. You apply for ranger school. If you get accepted, then you go ranger, you go to ranger school. Then you get ranger battalion. They do that for a few years. Then you put your package in for agreement. Same, same stories, the Navy. So I'm like, all right, six, seven years before I'm doing anything cool. Right. I'm like, beat it nerds <laughs> left there. And I was like, Coast Guard, Dad, let's keep walking. Went right into, <laughs> went, went right into the uh, oh, and, and Marines. I I didn't even consider that because you know obviously being eighteen and always want to go in the military. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are idiots. Okay. Cats out of bag, Jerry's a Marine. He'll get into that later. <laughs> That's why I can't spell. But uh, so, so I didn't consider them. Right, blew past the Coast Guard door, and uh, and I was like, well, what am I going to do? You know, and at the time, my sister, who's two years older than me, was already in the Air Force. So I was like, kind of like at an impasse. I'm like, I don't want to do the Navy. I don't want to do the Army. It's, it's going to take way too long to do anything fun. And then we rolled out the other two branches. There's one left. There's Air Force. Didn't even consider it. I was like, well, I guess I'm going to college. Better start, you know, working out that liver. Bummer, dude. Right? <laughs> and, you know, so, of course, my sister, two years older, she's in the Air Force. I'm just graduated high school. We have a good relationship, you know. She's she knows my struggles, and she's like, "Hey, uh, so I was looking up special operations, and I found this pamphlet, and the Air Force has something like kind of like Navy SEALs." And I'm like, "Cool, I'm still going to college, you know, because you're a Chair Force, and oh, you're in the Air Force, you're a pilot, you know, hear all this good garbage, you know." So yeah, can we pause for a second because I hear that a lot too, and I think this is going to surprise people. Like anybody that I've talked to ever that was in any other branch of the service, like the 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 redheaded stepchild is always the Air Force, right? 100%. It's, it's always the Air Force. So, did you already know this at this point? I mean, I think I just heard you clown on the Air Force, you know, previously. Oh yeah, yeah, I knew their reputation. Okay, I also knew the Coast Guard, which is why I went past it. Okay, well, the, uh, military branch, Air Coast Force, Coast Guard. What Coast Guard? Coast Guard, military branch. I, that's, Look, still, that's still to be determined. No, no, I, I love all my guys. <laughs> okay, I'm fucking okay. Space Force is where it's at now. It, yeah, right, so yeah. Sis tells you that hey, they got they might have some special operations in the Air Force, and you're yeah. like, nah, no, not no. So here I am, you know, doing college applications, and I'm looking for them in the mail, you know, di- you know, return letters, and I see one from my sister. I'm like, all right, cool, whatever, you know, open it up, because back then, you know, there's still snail mail, and there's this pamphlet. And it's, it says USAF combat control and pararescue. And I like open this up and I'm like, whoa, there's dudes jumping out of planes. There's dudes coming out of the water, you know, with camo on their face and all these cool weapons and shit. And I'm like, uh, what? So I go over to the, you know, dial up internet at, in 2003 and jam, <laughs> jam that in. And, AOL. and I, I was just blown away. 
I was starstruck, right? I'd never even heard of these guys. Um, I mean, I just said you, Air Force Combat Controller. Like, I bet 98% of the audience has no clue what that is, right? Well, we'll talk about that. Yep. And so kind of like the it, we, JP and I were just talking business a bunch over dinner and we're talking about marketing and advertisement. And like, it's because there's no marketing or advertising for Combat Control. Like nowadays, there's a couple things, you know, out there. But again, we can get into that later. Nobody's doing any movies or right. uh, or on uh, Combat Controllers or hey, whoa, video whoa, games. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We got one movie. Which one's that? Transformers. Oh. <laughs> Bring the rain, says Tyrese with his red beret. How <laughs> proud Brian is. So proud. Hey, I'm By not, not necessarily proud. I'm just saying we got one. Transformers. We got one. Up, though. It's a great play. Okay. So anyway, so I'm like, all right, cool. I guess I'll go to the Air Force recruiter. I showed, I showed the Air Force recruiter um, the pamphlet, and she looks at it. And immediately I can tell she's never seen this she's pamphlet. Like, huh? Where'd you get this? And I'm just like, oh my goodness, this is going to be a nightmare. Anyway, long story short, I it, it, the Air Force at, in 2003 at that time was the only branch of the service that allowed you to go direct to their special operations training and start right off the bat. Just how I explained earlier, all the other branches wanted you to do the whole workup, which I get, and there's merit to. And then fast forward uh to i don't even know what year like 2000 somewhere in the ballpark of like 2006 to 9 all the branches went to what the air force was doing with combat control and pararescue and said hey you know what if you guys want to come in and be immediately like slotted for a buds class and you freaking pass cool everybody come apply and if you don't you're back to the needs of the navy so every branch green Braves did that too so you can sign up Today, currently, again, it, it, it happened sometime back in that 06, 09 range. You can sign up today to go into any job you want. And again, you're kind of at a disadvantage, right? Because you don't, because imagine like the Army, if you went infantry for a couple of years, Ranger a couple of years, then pretty, I mean, you got all those years, you're gaining experience, you're gaining knowledge of the military and its workings, uh, knowledge of the Army, uh, you're getting all these skills. Um, so there's merit to it, right? And then by the time you, and I think, I don't know if this is one other, I know it's one of the reasons, I don't know if it's the, the main reason that also would make a more mature special operations force, right? If you had guys work up in the ranks, so they join it, let's say 17 or 18, and they do six years before they can be a Green Beret. Let's just say that was the fast track before this faster program came online. Well, now you got all a bunch of 26, 27 year old and higher, you know, mature, more mature teams, right? Which, First, which seems smart to me because your pimply 18 year old ass is ready to be a hundred percent right. Ready to be there right now. You don't have the patience for this. A hundred percent. Let's put me in coach. A hundred percent. So what drove that change to where, and I don't think everyone emulated the air force. I think the air force is randomly so undermanned and nobody knew about combat control pair rescue that they just had that program. And I guess it was working. Apparently they kept it, but not everybody didn't emulate them. They, it was just the needs of the, the war. So the global war on terror, like completely just, skyrocketed right iraq afghanistan all these things and so everyone the the military is like okay we do one or two things we can lessen all the standards so we get more guys through and we get more special operations teams or we just say hey anyone and everyone can apply right the recruiter's office to be special blank listen to brian explain the job description for those who might be thinking like navy seals or green berets this should clear things up about what an air force combat controller actually does combat control in its inception was came to be because of all of the missed drops to be to include equipment and personnel and bombs not hitting their targets and just going willy-nilly, specifically in Vietnam, but also prior to, that's where combat control came to be. And we started as Pathfinders. So there is a current job in the Army as a Pathfinder. Um, I don't know exactly like all the things they do, but 
they do a lot of that, uh, like battle tracking and and like making sure things are in the spot it's supposed to be in. Right. Right. So the Air Force. Oh man, we can. I'll try, I'm trying to sum the, summarize this because you can go so far into the weeds with the history of all the stuff. So, Combat Control used to be the Pathfinders, and then that was back when there was Army Air Corps. The Army and Air Force were not separate entities. Right. Then the second they broke off, Army took the Pathfinder, and, and Air Force said, "Well, we have guys that can do the same as what you can do, so we're going to name them Combat Control." Right. So Army Air Corps and Air Force split. Now it's the U.S. Army, United States Air Force. We adopted Combat Control. They kept the Pathfinder name, and they continued to do Pathfinder things. Okay. And then as the as technology evolved, because 2001 and the invasion, a GPS weighed five pounds. Yeah, right. Right? And it was uh, as big as a fucking MacBook it was a back, Pro. It was a backpackable yeah. like, item, right? You can, you can wear them on your wrist. Now, my watch is a GPS. So um, as technology increased, as bombs got better, as bombs finding the targets got better just based on the technology now they're like all right we need somebody to help control and harness this spike in technology of now we have air superiority we can put a bomb through a window at twenty thousand feet from like eight different aircraft well can they do it what if there's weather what if there's eight different ground like how does that one aircraft know about the marine unit you're talking about about the army unit about how does it, how does that aircraft know that so so you're absolutely right uh you got a small part of it but the part you are guessing at, you're you're correct. Does that answer? Totally. Yep. Yeah. All right. So then the war kind of morphed <sighs> combat control, not necessarily the war, prior to the war in previous other engagements, Gulf War, Dutter Storm, all those things. Uh, us being an Air Force entity, it was just easier for us to go liaison with aircraft, right? Because we're on an Air Force base that has jets and planes that have bombs. And, and the Air Force is the taxi cab of all the other branches. So like you think of Navy, you think of ships. Army, you think of tanks. Air Force, you think of planes. Anyway, Combat Control eventually evolved into a special operations entity. And it's, it's been one ever since. So now, me as an Air Force guy, I go attached to a SEAL team, Green Beret team, uh, freaking any three-layer agency, anyone that would be overseas doing stuff, right? We'll attach to them, and I now bring the capability of airlift, airstrike, artillery fire, naval fire, like anything that flies through the air that's larger than a human can carry that impacts somewhere really far away right is that does that kind of encompass everything so now i'm i'm the force multiplier. we talk about force multiplier with handheld flashlights now i'm the force multiplier on that team so now a team of 10 can go into a village of 100 and you have eight aircraft overhead with thousands of pounds of munitions and thousands of bullets on their jets and like you now your 10 man is like as strong as if you had like a thousand guys you're with the team you're on you're an operator on the team you're doing the same things correct that right. team is doing so and, and just like a if it's breaching and clearing that's what you're doing yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll use the example of like a, a medic because that's more i think more people can relate so a medic say a special special for a green beret medic right if if nobody's shot and nobody's harmed and he doesn't have to do any medic stuff what's he doing he's not just twiddling his thumbs right the teams so say the team is clearing a village they're going door to door room to room, kicking them in, breaching, shooting people, not shooting, like they're doing all these things, right? And then until somebody gets shot or somebody gets injured, that medic is doing special operator, special forces, special or just operator things, right? Which is just all encompassing. And we can go down the list, laundry list of qualifications that special operations gets and has. So, so yeah, so me as an Air Force guy, I have to attach them. And then we're not, I don't always have aircraft overhead. And if I do, I'm not always dropping a bomb. So what do I, th I have to be able to do everything they do and hang and be an asset to the team, whether there's aircraft or not. 
Right. It used to be like when the war first started, it was one PJ, right? So a special forces medic, special operations medic, uh, and one combat control would attach to it to whatever team, whatever mm-hmm. special operations team, right? And now that now the PJ is the prime primary medic, and I'm the air guy, even though we both run through the house with them as well. So now that alleviates one of their guys that was the medic. It alleviates him now to just be a salter. The salter is just an overarching term for you're not doing your specialty duty, you're doing your common duty, right? So that that's so they would teams would just snag Air Force guys because Air Force doesn't have their own. And they're the only branch that doesn't have their own special operations entity. They do now. And let's not get into that because it's (laughs) another two-hour podcast about what the Air Force has done with Air uh, Air Force Special Warfare. Like, that's now a legit term, and it now encompasses um, special reconnaissance, combat control, pararescue, and TACP. But we still are not running unilateral missions, right? A SEAL team, they're all Navy SEALs. A Green Beret team, they're all Army Green Berets. There is no... Oh, a team of 15 PJs just assaulted a compound in Somalia. Like, that's not a thing. Like, we're onesie twosies farmed out to the other branches. And that goes all the way back to what I said earlier, how the Air Force is the taxi cab of the, the whole cert. Like, right. the Air Force is the redhead step show. And that's where that term comes from. Is like, all the other branches just pick and pull from the Air Force. The Air Force doesn't do anything unilaterally by itself on its own. Like, maybe air refueling mission for other Air Force assets. Like, yeah, that's kind of a unilateral. They do that on their own. Right. But in terms of, like, ground stuff, they don't do any of that. Other than onesie twosie, and that's us. Now, I think this next part actually really cleared things up for JP and I on why Brian is such an excellent instructor. And it's basically because he understands social dynamics and communications beyond the average person. Because he's worked with so many different types of people and so many different levels, he really does a good job of kind of taking in information and be able to give it back to people in a way that makes sense for them. Have a listen. There is a whole nother set of skills beyond, you know, calling in bombs, calling in, you know, talking or communicating, shooting guns, whatever else. There's a, there's a huge social dynamic that needs to happen. Who am I going? Who, who am I with? Who are these guys? Where do they come from? And mm-hmm. understanding the dynamics within those teams, within those different branches, um, how to go up the chain of command, who you should be talking to, who you shouldn't be talking to, those kind of things. Uh, again, building a whole nother set of skill sets that even the highest level operators that work in these teams might not necessarily have to develop because they're with the same group of guys for the same group of operators for, for a really long time. And, so and that's therein, unique. therein lies the blessing and the curse of combat control right. and rescue. You're, we don't unilaterally work with the same guys for years, right? So when we attach onesies, twosies, um, again, blessing and curse. It's a blessing because we bring the experience of like, I've been with a recon team. I've been with a, Norwegian SAS team. I've been with the Brits. I've been with blah, blah, blah. And we show the SEAL team. And you have all that experience. So there's very seldom time where the SEALs or whoever you're with does something that you haven't seen before. Right. You can't just be like, but they don't know that. Oh, yeah. 100% they don't know that. So it's a blessing and a curse because that's the blessing. And the curse is, well, I run with these guys for six months. We build blood brother bonds. And then we leave and never see them again. Right. You know, but, for the most part. Right, but and the other thing is, is like protocols are different, right? Yep. Every uh, branch has their SOPs in different ways. And frameworks are a little bit different, right? right. So like things are off. So, you, so my, you got to be very flexible for sure. Yeah. For, and, and I've always wondered that with you, B Dub, because I know that um, you've trained with different special operation groups, and every branch has different procedures. And how would you adapt to that? Like, did you have a workup with them prior? Did you know that hey, I'm going to be with SEAL Team X, I'm going to be with Group X, and 
okay, they train differently. They, they even do CQB differently. Like, mm -hmm. how did you train to do that? So best case scenario, which you always strove to achieve is I get in the country. We all get farmed out all over the freaking country of Afghanistan or Iraq, wherever we're at, Africa. And you get to your team and it's cool, man. You're going to sit out on the first like right. month of right. shit. And this dude's going to spin you up. The dude that like sprained his ankle or whatever. He's going <laughs> to spin you up on the SOPs. Like legit. You're super happy there, about doing be, that, right? You're right? taking my spot. Exactly. Like, this is First awesome. off, this fucking Air Force guy. Right. My, I'm pissed because my ankle sprained. Now I got to sit and train you. <laughs> like, right. it's not train, but, you know, spin you up on the team's SOPs. Like, hey, we do it this way. Okay, got it. Cool, blah, blah, blah. So there's that. That's the best case scenario. Um, That rarely happens. <laughs> uh, the op tempo is insane. It was like. Hey, we there was a there was a period in time in Afghanistan where the the uh, the owner of the whole entire country of Afghanistan, the general whoever whoever at the time wrote, "You cannot go outside the wire on a mission without one JTAC and one medic." So there was a time where they had to have one of us. So I'd fly in, get dropped off on my, my team. They'd be like, "Hey, man, we're leaving in two hours. We're getting on that other helicopter. Pack your shit." And it's like, okay, cool. So now you're just behind the power curve trying to fucking learn. You're just getting briefed on the, on the yeah. helicopter on the and way I mean, up. the whole time on the Hilo ride, you're chattering your ear like, all right, man, we're doing this, blah, blah, blah. You're going to be here, blah, blah. We got this, blah, blah. So, like, that's how it typically, just the ops tempo was insane. And, I mean, that's why I did 10 years active duty. Like, I don't want to compare myself to, like, an NFL football player, but can they do 20 years no. at that elite no. level, right? No. So I did, I did 10 years of six months on, six months off deployments, and I was like, bodies destroyed, brains fried. I'm like, I can't do this enough. So, but I want to keep my my foot in the door. So I went guard, right? And I had that passion, that love, right? Like like you with the fitness and GP and everything. Like you, you get a love for that. You're like, I want to leave that, you know, but, That's but I need a too. break, right? Yeah. So it's kind of one of those things. Now we moved on from Brian and we get to Jerry. So here's Jerry's story on growing up in central Los Angeles and how he knew he was destined for law enforcement despite his neighborhood being overrun by gangs and him being faced with a ton of adversity. Now, you're going to hear him compare the similarities in his upbringing with Luis's. Now, if you want to hear a little bit more about Luis, you can head over to the YouTube version of this same episode and listen and learn more about him there. It's not that much of a difference in the background that we've had. Um, I also grew up uh, in California. A family of two immigrants, uh, both uh, La Frontera de Mexico from Tijuana and Rosarito. So mom from Rosarito, my dad from Tijuana. And uh, I was born in the States. Mm -hmm. uh, my family ended up immigrating eventually uh, the right way. They came over, they got work visas, they worked their asses off, they worked in the fields, they worked in factories. They both had two, three jobs at a time. I never got to see my family. I was always at home either with my older siblings. Um, like we, we grew up poor, we grew up dirt poor, but I didn't know I was poor. I just knew I had shoes you know a roof over my head and you know and i had i had food and i was like okay I'm just a typical you know hispanic family growing up in south in uh, south la um from there uh i kind of knew that uh i wanted to do law enforcement from a very very young like time and m most of it um came from the area that i grew up in i grew up in a very high crime area uh, like right next to Compton, uh, yeah. the city named Paramount. I know Paramount. Yeah. Paramount's, it's, it's a, it's a, if you break it down, Paramount's more of an industrial city. So uh, east of, or no, west of Downey. 
Uh, it's south of Downey. South, okay. yeah, south of Downey, um, which is literally the city adjacent to Compton. Right, right next to uh, Rancho Dominguez, right next to Long Beach, right next to Norwalk. So, like, it's a two by three mile city, yep. really small, but extremely like populated, and the majority of it is is Hispanics, it's mostly Hispanics. So, all the the people that I knew in that area were all gang members. All gang members. They grew up in and out of jail, juvie. Um, the cousins that I grew up with directly that lived in the same apartment that I lived in uh, were in and out of juvenile hall all the time, drugs, you know, fucking doing like, and when I say drugs, I don't mean just like weed, like they were doing hardcore shit. And um, my dad and my mom used to whoop my ass when I used to hang out with them, like whoop my ass. Good. But as a kid, I'm like, I'm like, I want to hang out with my cousins. I want to hang out with the kids. I don't want to be locked up in the house. Like this is boring, dude. Um, but then I started getting a very bad like distaste towards stuff like that. Like at a very very young age, I got mugged a bunch of times walking to school. You know, this, this is me in second grade walking to school. In second grade, you're how old in second grade? Seven. I can't math. Yeah. Well, I can't math yeah. well either. But right. seven years old, and I'm walking to school by myself. Different times, obviously. You know, I, I would not even allow my 11 year old kid to go to school, even if I could see him right. walking to school. It's just the way yeah. it is. Yeah. Uh, but back then, parents were like, hey, I'm going to work. Um, here's your lunch. and See you later. See you la- I'll see you tonight at 7 for lunch or for dinner. So different times, I'm sure you you were kind of the same. Uh, you and I have talked about this a lot. Um, and I and like during those times, I got into fights. I was hanging out with the wrong crowds. And I started seeing like how bad it was in the area. And uh, I would get beat up. I would get mugged by gangsters and the cousins that I did grow up with, um, the older I got, the the more I noticed, like, this is going to be a very bad decision if I continue working with them, if I continue, like, hanging out with them. What I found the most interesting about Jerry's story is what he tells us next about his why behind becoming a cop. This one surprised both JP and I, because this story very easily could have gone another way. Listen to what he has to say. One of my cousins, uh, he goes, hey, we're going to go to a friend's house. And I, I want to say I was like nine or ten. He was like, we're going to my friend's house. He was like two years older than me. And um, he goes, hey, uh, carry this stuff. And he gives me something. And I look at it. And it's, it's, it was an ice pick. And I go, there's no ice where we're going. And he goes, no, just put it in your pocket. It's cool. Don't worry about it. I'm like, all right, cool. All right. And this is like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, walking down. We get hemmed up by local sheriffs. Code three, turn on their lights. Bunch of 10-year-olds out of what, what At, time of night? Like 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Right, and then yeah. in net neighborhood. Yeah, right? in the hood. And we're like, okay, hams us up. And uh, I had the ice pick in my uh, my hoodie sweater. This is not going to end well. Uh, and I'm, I have it right here tucked in. And when he said, hey, put your hands on the hood, I, I did this. And for some reason, at 9, 10, I go, okay. And the ice pick flies like. 10 yards that way. And the lights were on, siren was on, so he didn't hear it, he didn't see it. Get hemmed up. And I remember, he's like, what the fuck are you guys doing out here? Like, you should be home, you should be ashamed of yourselves, blah, 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 blah. And my cousin's just giving him lip. You cop. Right. And I'm like looking and I'm like, fuck, why am I hanging out with this guy? Like, this is my blood, this is my cousin, legit cousin, but I'm like, fuck, he's gonna get me in trouble, dude. 
And cop comes up to me. He goes, how old are you? Like, where do you live? Like, I'm like, oh, I live over there. All right. Throws, him, throws us in the back of the squad car and he drops us off to each individual house. I didn't get caught. Well, he that. takes you home. He takes me home. Talks to my mom and dad. He goes, you know, he's, he's out and about. He's, you know, doing bad shit. And uh, you need to keep a watchful eye on him. Obviously, my mom and dad kicked the shit out of me yeah. that night. And um, that's when I kind of got like a lot of respect for cops. I'm like, oh, okay. Like I need to step away from this lifestyle. And that's what I want to do when I grow up. So like I said, I didn't see that one coming. But this next part really nails down why that experience the jury had with that sheriff's deputy could have been one of the most impactful moments in jury's entire life. So he goes on to talk a little bit about chasing his dream and what he found out along the way and that he was going to need to make another stop along the way. And that stop was the U.S. Marine Corps recruiting office in South Central Los Angeles. I've already been exposed to so much crap. And if I don't have something that drives me towards that end goal, like I'm going to get in trouble. Caught up in it. I'm going to get caught up in it Mm -hmm. and I don't want to stay here. And I'm like, okay, what do I do? And I started talking to my friends and my friends like, join the Marine Corps. And I was like, what the hell's the Marine Corps? <laughs> like, what's oh, the military? I was like, oh, like the army? And they're like, no, no, it's the Marine Corps. I'm like, okay, like, where, where do we go for this? Oh, we got to go to a recruiting station. I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I had no idea like what the Marine Corps was. I didn't know anything. Wow. I, I just knew the army and, and the Navy because my cousin had joined the Navy when I was younger too. Um, and, but that's all I knew. Like I knew there was army and the Navy. I was oblivious to everything else. Um, so I went to a recruiting station. They were busy, went back home and then recruiters started showing up at my house and the dude was wearing dress blues. Pretty sharp. You're like, Oh, oh cool. Dress blues. Those are cool looking. Young impressionable. Yeah, young impressionable. That's what it was. And it's, it's a ploy, you know, they want to impress, you know, the kids and whatnot. And I'm like, Oh, that's the Marines. Like, okay. Like what is that? And I saw, talked to the recruiters. Name was Sergeant Pedraza at the time. Um, he took me to the station. He took actually like six of us from high school. Like we're all six friends um, that we knew each other. We went to the same classes. We all grew up in Paramount. Uh, we went and we signed up. And uh, at seventeen, at the time, you still needed your your consent from your your guardian okay. or your your father. Um, so I, I told him I wanted to sign up and. And he says, well, I need your dad to sign on this. I go, okay, well, let's go talk to my dad. My dad's going to be totally fine with it. And I go, my dad goes, que la chingada no, <laughs> which means hell no. And I'm like, well, why not? He goes, well, no, 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 no. I already lost your mom and I'm not going to lose you too. Oh, wow. And I'm like, how the hell are you going to lose me? I'm just going to join the military. And he goes, no, 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 no. The, the Marines, uh, you go and die. I'm like, I was still oblivious to what the Marine Corps was. You know, I, I just thought I was joining the military and I didn't know like there was jobs and different occupations and MOSs. I had no idea. Um, and I told him, okay, well, here's your ultimatum. You either sign when I'm 17 and you give me consent and I'll be happy or I sign when I'm 18 and I will never forgive you for this. It's like that. I told him it was just like that. And he looked at me and goes, I let me chew on this one. And then the next day he signed away. He had the, the, he signed away. He goes, here's the thing. I'm going to go to church and I'm going to pray for you. And, and you better not do anything stupid. And I go, okay, cool. Yeah, whatever. I'm going to join the military. I want to get away from this. This is stupid. 
Like this lifestyle is stupid. I want to get away from it because ultimately I want to be a cop. And I don't know why he was okay with me being a cop, but me not okay with joining the military. It's like right, really weird. Right. I'm like, dad, do you not know? Like it's pretty dangerous out here. Um, so I, I went and I, I signed up, I joined, and then 9-11 happened like Two, okay. Like three months after so I had this signed my contract. up to the dates, which was going to be my question. Yeah, exactly. like, because, you know, being oblivious to Marine Corps and military and all that stuff, yeah, pre 9 11, there wasn't much, unless you were paying attention to what was going on in, you know, in Iraq through Desert Storm and Desert Shield, but it hadn't, it wasn't getting sensationalized, right? And certainly we hadn't had an event like 9 11 yet to wake the kids up to what was really going on over there. I mean, I was hyper aware, but. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Afghanistan was already going on in 2001, though, right? Yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. 2001, uh, 2001, Afghanistan was already happening, but hey, I didn't even know Afghanistan was a place you know, at the time, let alone the Marine Corps. Yeah, I think so, a lot of people in the same same situation, yeah. man. So that I think would, they only know it for a certain way it is now. Like, I'm 47 years old. I'm literally old enough to remember how fucked up it's been forever, yeah. right? Uh, forever. And... um you have to know U.S. history, I guess, yeah. but if they're not teaching you that shit in school and you're not getting that from your parents, like, how not. would you know? Yeah. All right, okay. All right, so. So so I joined and um, got to the point where the recruiter goes, well, what MOS do you want? I go, well, I had I had just looked up what the Marine Corps was, and I go, oh, infantry, cool. That's what I want to do. And I'd already done my my uh, my uh, ASVAB. ASVAB. Yeah, yeah, I did my ASVAB. I scored pretty decently. Um and the recruiter goes, well, you qualify for every job. You got a pretty good ASVAB score. Um, he goes, you could do whatever you want. You could do Intel. You could do comms. You could do Motor T. You could do this. You could do that. Uh, you shouldn't do infantry. I go, no, but, but I want to do infantry. He goes, no, 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 no. Look, I was a comm guy, and that's something that are, you know is very applicable in the civilian world. Like, do you plan on doing this for the rest of your life? I go, no, no, no. I want to be a cop afterwards. He goes, I go, this is just a stepping stone for me to not get in trouble anymore and also maybe learn some life skills because I have zero life skills outside of what I've done when I was young. He goes, no, 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 no. Um, you, you want to do what I did. You want to do comm. Or you want to do something else. You could do intel. You could do this. You could learn something in the military besides just be infantry. I go, no, no, no. I want to be infantry. He goes, no, I'm not going to let you do it. I'm not going to let you do it. And I go, Why, because okay. he had a quota to fill? Probably. Yeah. Uh, probably, in hindsight. I don't know if that even exists in the military. Was there, is there quotas for MOSs? Okay, so I guess there is. Yeah. So that's how oblivious I was to it. And I go, okay, well, I'm going to join the, the Army. It's literally like oh, no down shit. the hallway. So now you're pulling the same shit you're pulling uh, on my dad. I go, <laughs> I'm joining the Army then. <laughs> it worked once. Uh, yeah. he goes, the same shit you tried to pull on me on the jiu <laughs> mat earlier, dude. <laughs> no, I was pulling guard is what I was doing. That's different. Um so I'm like, okay, I'm just going to join the army. And I walk out and he runs out. No, 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 Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. Um, okay, I'll tell you what. You want to join the infantry. Okay. Chew on this. Um, go open contract. And more than likely, um, they'll choose you to, to be infantry. Well, what I didn't know is that open contract is whatever the Marine Corps wants whatever you to do. Say, whatever yeah. their needs are. I'm stupid. I'm young. I'm 17. I go, will it? Solidify a position in the in in infantry. He goes, you'll have a high probability of joining the infantry. Bullshit. I go, okay, cool. Yeah, mm -hmm. I didn't know. I, I'm seventeen. I, I, I didn't know. I, I didn't know shit. I know. I go, okay, so, I you're not letting me join the infantry, but 
you're letting me go open contract and I have a chance. Remember that? Remember Dumb and Dumber's? So you're saying I have a you chance. Remember, it's only the top five. Right. So that, that was me. That was me. I go, so I have a chance, right? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, you have a really high probability uh, that you're going you're gonna to get chosen to be infantry. I go, cool, I'll sign up then. Signed up, uh, went to basic, and uh, this was, I signed up in 2001, July. Um, I'd left June, July of 2002. So 9-11 happened during that time. It happened after I had signed up, so I didn't join the military because of 9-11. Mm-hmm. But it did, like, once it happened, I said, okay, yeah, I'm going to the Marines. I'm like, I'm going to do what I need to do. And then I go to boot camp, and then I end up going to MCT. And MCT. What is that? MCT is just, um, it's, it's not infantry. <laughs> it's not infantry. You learn, like, basic rifle skills and basic, like, land nav. Um, but it's, like, right after boot camp. And then at the very end, when you graduate MCT, which is, I want to say it's, like, a month long, they give you your MOS. They they call you. Okay, uh, Munoz, you are a cook. Uh, Scott, you're gonna be a bulk fuel. Uh, B Dub, oh, you're going infantry. Jer- uh, Perez, oh, that was, that's me. Ammunition. Now, Luis and Brian like to give Jerry a hard time about how much he loves to talk. I mean, these guys are relentless with each other off air, and it's hilarious. That said, I was totally fascinated by how Jerry spent his time in the Marines because it's one more instance of having to take no for an answer. Basically, eat shits with a spoon and a smile. But his relentlessness to achieve his goals ends up being the prevailing factor here. Have a listen. Uh, So ammunition tech is um, we pretty much handle nomenclature lots of all munitions pertaining to infantry, um, artillery, uh, tank units in the Marine Corps, with the exception of air um, air assets. Okay. So we didn't deal with the air side of the munitions. Uh, we had other techs that were specifically for aircraft munitions. So all the ammunition that I dealt with uh, was for either workups or for deployments. So I was in charge of... We went to Redstone Arsenal, which is a, a, a base, an army base in Alabama. And that's where we, we learned our, our MOS uh, designation. And then from there, I was attached to um, a, a unit where we just helped with the workups. So the first year in, in my fleet time in the Marine Corps, I spent in 29 Palms, which sucks, by the way. It's, it's the West Coast armpit of the Marine Corps. <laughs> and um, middle of nowhere, nothing but, you know, hills have eyes people living out and about. It's a really weird place. Um, I think they had like one, one restaurant, one bar at the time. And uh, I was just sick and tired of being there. And OIF had just kicked off. So basically what you're doing is you're giving the ammunition to the guys that you wanted to be. Yeah. Uh, so exactly. basically like here, it was, have a great fucking time doing what I signed up hoping I was going to It was a doing. slap in the face, dude. Yeah. It was a complete slap in the That's face. Tough. So so we had guys, half of the guys and gals that um, were in my unit uh, my first year in the fleet got selected to go to Iraq for OIF-1. And I'm like, I was trying to volunteer. I'm like, I, that's what I want to do. I want to go. I want to go. Since I'm not infantry, let me at least go on a deployment. And it was like, no. Again, a big fuck no. I'm like, fuck. Okay. So I stayed behind and... Uh, most of the infantry uh, battalions in 29 Palms had already deployed, come mm-hmm. back for rotation, et cetera, et cetera. My mass sergeant at the time, um, 
I, I somehow, after a year of being there, convinced him that I needed to deploy somewhere. I, I needed to deploy with an infantry unit so that I could go overseas. Because at that time, I'm like, now I need to go do something. I need to get out of here. Like, I'm all my homies are going to Iraq or Afghanistan, and I'm here in the rear. And I need to do something before I get out of the Marine Corps because I knew that I wasn't going to do more than four years. I said, I'm, I'm after I'm. My you four years that 21 and get out and I get out so I could do with law right. enforcement, but I wanted to have a little bit more life, life experience, I guess, whatever. Um, so I finally convinced my mass aren't to, to get me orders to become an ammo tech at an infantry battalion on the East so coast. Getting closer. So I'm getting closer <laughs> to what I still am not going to be able to do. Miles, yeah. Still not going to be able to do, but regardless, he got me orders and I ended up going to first battalion, second Marines out of Camp Lejeune. So I get there. I'm, 19 and a half and 19 and a half, almost, yeah, 20, 19 and a half, 20. Okay. And they go, hey, you're in charge of all the ammunition for the whole battalion. Uh, I'm like, how many is in a battalion? It's like a thousand, a 1,200? Yeah, a lot. A lot, like a, a, like 1,200 Marines. And this is Alpha Company, Bravo, Charlie, Weapons Company, um, H&S, everybody that's in the battalion to include any of the support element of people. I was put in charge of all their ammunition. I'm like, I'm, I'm a 19 and a half, 20 year old kid that barely knows how to do any of this. And I have to deal with everybody's ammunition. Right. And we're talking like millions of dollars, millions and millions of dollars of ammunition. assets. Assets. Yeah. The ammunition that I dealt with for the battalion when I was still CONUS here at Stateside was, yeah. was all training ammo. And not until I actually ended up going to Iraq with, the, with, with one, two, that I have to deal with all the ammunition for each individual uh, company, right? Uh, for for actual okay. the you know field use or for wartime use, uh, but I we you know I was out there with every single company during their workups, um, supplying them with what they needed. But I only dealt with the the top dogs of each company, I guess. Okay. Um, and again, I only answered to a handful of people: my gunner and my battalion commander, which was a, a, a lieutenant colonel. Um, and yeah, so you're dealing with people at an executive level. Correct. And finally, Jerry gets to go blow some shit up. But for you gun guys, listen to what he's actually blowing up. It's absolutely heartbreaking. I mean, I almost lost my mind. We ended up going to Iraq um, 2005, 2006 uh, with the 22nd Mew. So we actually got on naval ships, passed through the Suez Canal, uh, well, before that, we went to Djibouti for a little bit. They did some workups. Twenty um, Second Mew had First um, Battalion, Second Marines, some RD units, um, or battalion. I'm sorry, some tanks with us, some um, other elements like special operation elements, uh, mostly recon Marines, uh, either Force Recon or I don't remember if it's Force Recon or Recon, which is a little bit different. Um, and uh, we ended up going to Iraq. Originally, we weren't supposed to go to Iraq. It was supposed to be a Westpac tour. Uh, we were supposed to like stop at all the different big countries, ports, yeah. yeah, big ports and whatnot. And they said, nope, we're going to Iraq. And we stopped in Kuwait. From Kuwait, we got on airplanes. Yep. And the Air Force, thank you, taxi. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, flew us into uh, the Ambar region. Okay. Uh, and then we went to our separate FOBs for... Almost six months. All right. So you finally got your deployment. I got my deployment. I was in infantry, but I was attached to an infantry battalion. So I guess it was better than nothing. Yeah. So uh, I came back after that. Um, knew that I wanted to, I was at 21 already at the time, almost 22. 
So I said, okay, life experience. I'm at least 21. Let me apply for a uh, police agency. And the only police agency, even as a child, that I ever, ever, ever wanted to join was LAPD. Yeah. I was broke as hell, though. Came back broke as hell. Didn't have any money. I said, I got presented with an opportunity and they said, hey, why don't you go overseas again to Iraq as a civilian contractor this time? I go, okay, doing what? And they go, blowing shit up, dude. Okay. I'm like, what do you mean? They go, you're going to be working with EOD guys all the time. You know ammo. You know how to separate ammo, what blows up, what's volatile with what. You know you know that Red Foss doesn't mix with blah, 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 blah. Right. I'm like, all right, cool. Um, how much do I get paid? About $15,000 a month. And I'm 21. I go, oh, show me where to fucking sign. Let's do this. I yeah. go, I'll do this for six months. I'm cool with that. Mm-hmm. LAPD can wait. I'm cool with that. I need some money. I need to be a little bit more liquid. Uh, so I went over for six months and I, all I did was work with EOD guys, like Air Force EOD, Navy EOD. Um, so EOD, Explosive Ordnance Disposal, correct. for people that don't know what that is. Correct. So... So, so went, went out uh, with the Corps of Engineers, the Army Corps of Engineers, uh, had a contract with the civilian company called EOTech. Um, and all we did was demo shoots on ammunition and confiscated uh, firearms, guns, you just name it, that was confiscated from the, either the Taliban or from people. Something that was uncovered some, in some village somewhere. Somewhere that, yeah, yeah. they weren't supposed to have. So we would do demo shoots every day for six months. Legitly, we were just blowing millions of dollars worth of ammunition. And I'm like, how the hell are these guys getting all this ammo? And later to find out, it was like a lot of like shady shit. That's how they're getting their, all their ammo and stuff. Like we would go into these, um, uh, they call them magazines. They're pretty much bunkers, under, underground bunkers where they store ammunition. And when you look at it from the top view, it just looks like little hills. Yeah. Um, you know what I'm talking about. So I went in there, I'm looking up, and uh, on top, you could see the writing like on the pillars, and it says, parts for bridges. And I go, parts for bridges? Oh, shit. They, they use this, their illegal funds or illegal equipment that they use or material that they would use to to build these things looking at other boxes and they had boxes of mp5s lined up brand new mp5s lined up everywhere that they somehow gotten into country somehow uh, somehow got <laughs> into country we're opening up other boxes of ammunition they had nazi ammunition they had shit world war ii world war ii like nazi stamped ammunition i'm like dude iraq was like packed full of all sorts wild of crazy stuff dude wild, yeah. uh, my eyes were opening up i'm like holy crap dude like Saddam had some crazy shit over here, dude. I'm sure you heard all the stories about walking into like entire like normal-sized U.S. bedroom yep. stacked floor to ceiling with hundred dollar bills. Oh yeah, yes, yeah. and gold bars, gold bars, insane yeah. story. Like read any of the books from the invasion of Iraq or Afghanistan, out of control. I, I yeah. didn't deal with that. I dealt with just the, the weapons, the weapons part, and yeah. the ammunition. And but now I'm with t- all the fires of spirits, like that is more shit to be now. You know, I was right. like, holy! I'm looking at this. I'm like. I wish I have it. This is a full auto MP5, dude. And they had <laughs> in the box crates, yeah. crates yeah. beyond the eye could see of just brand new MP5. And still, you blew it up, and I had to blow it up. Stuff that was supposed to be used for humanitarian purposes. There was one crate. It was funny. I'm looking at a, a box full of crates, and it says typewriter parts. I go, we're blowing up typewriters, <laughs> and I open it up, hand grenades. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> typewriter parts? Yeah, These boy. are not typewriter parts, dude. I'm like, oh, you shady little guy, you. <laughs> 
Um, anyway, so you're working as a con- how long does the contract work work? Or so go? there were six, six month stints. Um, you would do six months, um, and then you had the choice to come back or go to. They would, ch- if you wanted to go to, I don't know, Dubai, or if you wanted to go to London, or you wanted to go anywhere, they would send you out there. You could have fun and then come back. Wow. So mo- most of the companies that were out there with us, um, because remember, I wasn't doing like gun stuff out right. there. I was blowing shit up. Blowing so up we guns. we had contractors protecting us. We had like Triple Canopy. We had Blackwater. Gotcha. We had Cochise. Yeah, Co- Cochise was another one, right? Cochise, I think, was another one. We had guys protecting us, and all they did was pump iron, eat, and watch the wire for us. Right. And I was doing the more tech, I guess the more technical stuff was blowing stuff up. Right. Um, but it was paying really good money. And I was like, all right, this is cool. You know, I get to blow stuff up. I get to hang out with dope people. Um, I get to work out and eat for free. And then make, I go home after six months. makes lots of money and go home. And I made my money and I said, I don't need to really be here anymore. And when I made that choice, as I was signing my, my, my end of contract out there, uh, Saddam got captured. And I'm like, oh, I definitely don't want to stay here then. I definitely yeah, want to leave call. country. Yeah. So left country, came back, um, applied for LAPD. Yeah, there's a transition here at some point. Yeah, right? applied for LAPD. Um, and they said, all right, it's going to be a little bit of wait. I said, okay, um, I'm just going to live my life. I have money in the bank. I'm just going to relax for a while. Finally relax for a while. If you're wondering if Jerry ever actually did become a cop, well, this next clip, it answers that question. 2007, joined uh, LAPD. I went to the academy, did all my stuff, um, was assigned to South Central for my probation, passed my probation from probation. You're back home. I'm back, yeah, pretty much back home, yeah. yeah. Um, after probation, one of the sergeants had hit me up that did time with me during probation, and he was already working a different unit. And he goes, hey, Jerry, um, we're opening up this brand new specialized unit. Um, and we, all we want is like young cats, like fresh out of probation. I go, okay. Well, and I already knew this sergeant. I really loved him. He was a really good guy. He took me under his wing. Um, and he goes, uh, do you, do you want to do this? I go, well, what do we do? And like, all you do is obs work, dude. Like you don't handle any radio calls. You don't have to answer to anyone except for us and the watch commander. And all you do is stop assholes all day. I'm like, so you assign, where, 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 where are we assigned to? Like, oh, that's the that's the catch. Like, captains bid for you. Like, we work in 21 geographical areas in, in LAPD. There's 21 different like mm-hmm. areas. Massive. And massive. And each captain says, "Oh, we have a problem on this corridor. We have a problem here with homicides or with carjackings or whatever." And they bid for us and they send us to those problem areas for three days. Sounds like Brian. It was sounds it was, like Brian's it was job. Fun, dude. Go. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. So for a year and a half, I was assigned to this specialized unit. And all we did was every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the really nice times of the week, mm-hmm. during night shift for for 10 hours at a time, sometimes 12, they would assign us to the problem areas of LAPD. So wherever there was the highest crime for that geographical area, they would assign us, they would assign us there. And all we did, all we did was ops work. So hey, there's a group of assholes right there. There's right. some gangsters over there. Oh, hey, that car looks shady. It's pro- very Let's proactive police work. It is all work. proactive police work. All proactive Which police work. Which I'm sure affords itself a lot of cool things and cool experiences, but also you get yourself into a bit of trouble there. I mean, yeah. That's going to be one of my segues in a second. Yeah. But yes, 100%. Okay. So um, get assigned to that, and about a year and a half into it, um, 
the unit had already been two years old. Um, they got to rotate you out of there, right? Well, no, not necessarily. They just disbanded the whole unit. Oh, okay. Because the mission of the chief at the time changed. was to, what had changed, and he said, we need to beef up a patrol. We need to beef up patrol. So here's 115 officers that are about to be out of a job. Not like out of LAPD, but out of out their, of their unit. special unit, yeah. We go, okay, well, where are we going? You know, there's 21 geographical areas, and I don't want, you know, freeway therapy. I don't want to drive an hour and a half to my location and another hour and a half to come back. And they go, well, put your wish list in. All right, cool. Well, I want to work in Watts or I want to work in South Central. So I put my three areas in and I was one of four guys out of 115 that ended up going to where they really wanted to go. Very few got their location. Things are starting to look up for Jerry. Yeah, right? So I I finally went somewhere that I wanted to go. So I ended up going to Watts. And uh, from 2010 until 2017, I worked patrol in South Central. As we wrap up Jerry's background, both he and Brian talk about why people like them are so drawn to the work that they do in law enforcement or the military. This is definitely a common thread between these two guys, but to be honest, I see it as being a common thread between just about anybody that's worn a badge or served in the service. People might find this really odd that people want this kind of work. Like there's a drive to do this work. Uh, And that might be an interesting or a hard mindset for people to understand. I mean, just kind of transitioning maybe back between um, Brian and and you, Jerry. Can you talk about that mindset a little bit? Like just, and maybe help people understand what it is that's driving this want to, I don't know. What is it? Like, what is it? What's the feeling? Because it's not something I can can talk to, so I, I don't know. It's hard to antiquate, really. Like it's for me personally, it might be different from B Dubs, but I grew up in a very rough neighborhood, and I, maybe I had some distaste towards like criminal activity. And I said, "No, I want to maybe as cheesy as it sounds, make a difference." I don't think it sounds cheesy. I mean, yes, I, and I no. think people want to say that that it sounds cheesy, but no. I mean, you had some experiences, so I think I get it. Uh, I, think that, I, I can try to anyways. That, that was one of the reasons. And the other reasons, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, it's kind of an adrenaline thing. It's like, I want to okay, no. be in the, I want to be in this shit. Like I want to, a big part of it is conditioning. Now that's not all of it. Right. Because you, you see random good Samaritans run into a gunfight that have never even like handled a gun. Yeah. Right. So it's not all of conditioning, but it's a lot of conditioning. Right. So you're training, right. We were talking about how we are using UTMs, ultimate training missions today in the CQB house. And, Eventually, if you guys did enough training and whatnot, you'd you would eventually get to a point where you'd have live role players shooting back, right? Or live unknowns or whatever, whatever. Right. And so when you're getting hit with those things, it hurts super freaking bad, right? And that's just conditioning you to where, like I told you examples of guys that would get shot in real life with real bullets and be like, oh, it just felt like a UTM. And they continue to do the job until they get to a point where they're like, oh, shit, I'm hit. So that conditioning just of, you know, law enforcement, military, you know, military conditioning you to go to the fight, conditioning you to enter that room when you can hear AKs racking and magazines being inserted. <laughs> it's like, that's what we got to do. That's what we've been doing. And and you just do it. You know, a lot of it. So so conditioning. And then I'd say the other part of it. And again, military application. Also, I can see the law enforcement is the guys around you. 
Like, again, that doesn't explain this, the lone random civilian that has never had experience, but he goes to, it doesn't explain that aspect, but it explains like a military or law enforcement person that has had training. Under its it's on the teams. Yeah. Right. yeah. So I always wondered why LEO and operators have such a hard time walking away from the work, even though they know their time is really up. Now here's an explanation that I think might help this make a little bit more sense while at the same time pinpointing the realities of what exists when one of these guys tries to hang it up in the end. 2017 came. Um, at the time, I'd already gotten in trouble with the department a few times, uses of force, pursuits. I mean, again, we talked about the, you know, the percentage, right? You know, the more people you stop, the more people that you get uh, either go to radio calls to or, or do pedestrian stops or vehicle stops, the, higher, gonna per- happen. the higher percentage that shit's going to happen. People that submarine and don't do any work, they're not going to get into anything, right? It just, that's the way it is. So I was constantly like, for lack of a better term, hooking and booking. You know, I had partners that, that were very similar to these guys. Like, Hey, let's go find the next cool thing. Let's go elephant hunt. Let's go do this. Let's, Hey, you know, remember yesterday there was a group of, you know, there's a group of gangsters over there hanging out behind the train tracks. Let's like, go check let's go out. check it out. Let's go do this. We're very proactive. I was very proactive. Yeah, and gangsters don't want to be arrested. No, they don't, you know? And so, you know, <laughs> not nine, nine out of the 10 arrestees that we had, they were, they were okay. And then that one had a hair up his ass and like, okay, let's do the fights on. So I, I got in trouble quite a few times with my agency. Um, I got passed up for promotion. I got passed up for a specialized unit, gang unit. Uh, the guys there knew me and they wanted me in, but the higher, they wouldn't touch they, you. They're like, no nah, dude, you like, you have way too many uses of force. You have complaints. I complaints for, you know, excessive force and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, uh, yeah, whatever it was. I'm like, dude, yeah, he I, dude the me. guy was punching me. Yeah. What am I supposed to do? Like, right, okay, a, whatever. I can't imagine how tough that is. Um, so I, I kind of had to walk away from it all. I'm like, I'm just going to walk away from it all for a little bit. Like, I'm just going to, maybe I'll become a reserve officer or something, you know? And, um, a little bit personal too. I kind of started hitting the bottle a little bit harder. I started mm-hmm. drinking. I'm like, okay, I like, I just need to stop. I need to walk away from it all. And at the time, my personal relationship with my ex-wife was taking a hit. Right. Like biggest, one of the biggest reasons why I'm, I have an ex-wife now, which by the way, I, I, Rocco, I love you. You're, you're an awesome person. She's actually my best friend. She, she is the mother of my child and I respect her for that. But at the same time, like her and I are like best friends. But at the time, we took a really big hit, and I we ended up getting divorced. Mm. Um, so, PD took a big hit on me. The bottle, I just I was in a very bad rut in my life. It was dude. a common tale, no? Yeah, I oh mean, yeah, tell it alone. Yeah, you might have felt that way, but this is a pretty common tale. It's a tale as old as time, as old as time, man. Like law enforcement, military, soft units. What the divorce rate is? How high, dude? Out of control. Yeah, like ridiculous. Right. I think, like. Navy SEALs, dude, their divorce rate is like in the 90s or something. Yeah, you're doomed, right? It's ridiculous. You know it's not going to work. And and law enforcement is notorious for two things, for boozing and for divorces. Like it's especially if you work in a really, really high-speed area. So ended up getting divorced. Um, In hindsight, it was probably better for everybody involved, Mm -hmm. my son and her, because now we're like the bestest friends in the world. And we were like co-parenting better than anybody that you could ever That's think great. of. Left law enforcement for a little bit, um, but because I had EP experience, I got picked up by a family. And I've been working for that family full time now for almost seven years. And this will be the segue between us uh, working for the family full time 
for for almost seven years. I would travel with him, with her. I would do the advances. I would I would do everything for them. Mm-hmm. I was doing everything for them. <clears throat> and this was early on in in their their EP program as well. And um, I ended up running into somebody that I knew with LAPD that now works at a different agency uh, in a higher level. And they just asked me, they said, do you want to, there's a position open for reserve officer. Why don't you apply? I go, well, my post certificate is still active. It's mm-hmm. only been less than two years. So I'm still, for those, for those of you at you know, wondering post certificates, it's your certificate to be, to be an active police officer or reserve officer. It was still active. It's usually good in California for three years. So I was still active and I said, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll apply. Mm-hmm. And I applied and they called me in and here I am again, like I was 10 years ago, going through polygraph again, going through the backgrounds, going through credit checks, going through the board and everything. And eventually about a year later, I got hired, got hired with another agency. Now I'm a reserve officer for a small agency that loves me, that takes care of, that takes care of me. They respect me. They don't treat me like a number. And uh, I get to do police work again. But that's only on a on, very part time. It's a very part time yeah. thing. But it, I couldn't like I still wanted my foot in the door, kind of like what you. I still like my heart was still in it. I loved it. I still love it to the day. But I just can't do it full time anymore. Yeah, but those transitions are, are tough. I mean, I think that's in a lot. What I hear, particularly from the operation side of things, is like walking away from that after all of those things. Same, you know, almost at that level that you're working at, high speed areas or special units or you know a combination thereof. And then stepping into like all of a sudden you go from we were talking about throttle control today, yeah. you know, and when you you hit that hallway and moving too fast, right? Like slow it down. Hard to slow down when you're ready to get into the fight, right? All the time, right? How do you how do you throttle back? How do you transition out of that? How do you walk away from it altogether? Very very tough thing to do. The vast majority of military and veteran suicides is after they get out. Vast majority because they don't know what to do with their you, life. You can't go from walk, 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 you just fell off a hundred foot cliff, right. right? I mean, everything they known for how many years they were in is just no longer, right? So Jerry and I chose this path, whether it was luck, coincidence, I don't know, chose this path where it kind of gave you a 45 degree slide. Yeah. Where you kind of figure shit out before you hit the bottom. Where you go, which has brought us here today. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Iron Sights. If you enjoyed our conversation, you can support our mission by hitting the subscribe button, leaving a review, and sharing the podcast with a friend. I'll see you on the next episode.